one. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> hey, food things, and welcome back to Just Ghouly Things, and we are your beautiful hosts, Rebecca and Lily. Hey. So hope you all had a wonderful, safe Thanksgiving. Yes. Emphasis on safe. Super safe. Lily, what did you do for Thanksgiving? Um, let me take a sip of my water. ASMR of Lily's water. Okay. So my Thanksgiving was a very Baldessari Thanksgiving. We woke up late. Awesome. Um, we wa- we turned on the parade, and then it was just like we watched the Jimmy Fallon intro, and it was amazing because just like he's American treasure. So, what did so did they have balloons? Or like, so there were balloons. There were balloons. There were floats. A lot of floats okay. and stuff. But like, we just stopped watching because it was just not the same without no. the crowds and it, no. it, it just it wasn't the same and we never really watched the whole thing anyways same um my dad usually watches robin hood from when he was a kid okay but we're talking every fucking year see my parents are the march of the wooden soldiers that's their really thing. Yes, that's their every yeah. year thing and like he'll watch it with like my younger cousins but they weren't there mm. and my mom and i were like okay it's two to one mike like you're not fucking watching we're, you're not sticking us yeah, stream it on your laptop. Yeah, exactly. Like, she was like, you can watch it before you go to bed, Mike. Just do that. So instead, we watched... So we started with the parade, and then we just watched, like, parade disasters. Love it. Like, when we were really young, um, I think it was 1997, like, there was this Barney balloon that got caught on a lamppost. Did it? Actually? Yeah. And it, like, deflated. And then there was the cat in the hat one that knocked over a lamppost and, like, injured three people. And before we know it, we're watching Thanksgiving Day Parade Disasters. It was gold. So I never thought of looking that up, but when we stop recording, I'm going to look this up. Oh, my God. I meant to send them to you. I never knew that was a thing, and I'm so glad that you have opened my eyes. The Barney deflating is great because you can hear children screaming. (laughs) They're like, no, Barney! The screaming of children gives me life. It's like that's what we feed off them. of. Yes, it's like Ursula with Ariel's voice. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> that's me with children's screams. What about uh, you? What did you do? Um, what did we do? Um, yeah, woke up. Actually, I woke up pretty early for a big Thanksgiving morning. Usually, I like to sleep in myself. Mm-hmm. Usually, like to watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade, but really didn't know what was going on with that, so didn't watch yeah. it. The intro with Jimmy Fallon was um, it was him and like. The two, like, ladies from the Today Show and stuff. And Jimmy Fallon. I mean, he's just, uh, he's an American. I fucking love him. So that was great. So, like, you could just look that up on YouTube. But the rest of the parade was just a parade. Yeah. And then, um, then Mike and I, we went to his parents' house. So Mm -hmm. it's, like, it was his immediate, like, his brothers and Mm -hmm. him and his, uh, his parents. And then my parents stopped by. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we had like a nice fusion of food, okay. as you can tell. Yeah, like I was so watching it. Foods. Your, I was watching like your mom's Instagram stories and like yours, and I was like, "This is this it's, looks good." Yeah, but I, I honestly, my stomach was killing me, and I am not a big like binge eater. Like of eating mm-hmm. a bunch of everything, mm-hmm. I like to take little bits of everything so I can try everything. Mm-hmm. But there was just so much of so many different things that. I still ended up being full and feeling disgusted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we did a birthday cake because Mike's birthday is tomorrow. So okay. we're, we just did like an early birthday thing. So. Okay. Yeah, but it was definitely, it was nice to have like our immediate families together because like we're kind of like our core group of people that yeah. like, we see. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely weird because they're the family that like everyone goes over there, comes in and out, and like it just wasn't, wasn't that this same, year. Yeah. Um, so hopefully next year we'll have like a big celebration to make up for this 
this year. I hope so. That's what I was saying. You know, uh, customers were coming in. I'm sure you got this too, where they'd be like, you know, have a happy Thanksgiving, you know, even if it's a small one. And I would always say, like, the one guy, you remember the guy who came in and I said, have a good day? And he said, I will not. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. So, like, his type, you know, would say, like, well, you know, it's ridiculous. There's going to be no Thanksgiving this year. And I would, and I say, well, there's going to be one next year. Yeah. Right? And I, that's the vibe. The is, thing is, there's so many things to put us down to be a Scrooge about. Why mm-hmm. don't we find the good in this? Exactly. Like, I think that the quarantine has brought me closer to my family in the sense mm-hmm. that, like, you kind of find, like, those immediate pot of people that you're close to mm-hmm. and you stick with those people. And it, it's allowed families that maybe the father works in the city a lot and really can't spend time with the kids. Now he's working from, from home, home, can actually play yeah. games with the kids, can be with the kids more mm-hmm. one-on-one. Yeah. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. And I hope people have taken advantage of that yeah. while they have. Because, I mean, hope to God we don't have the pandemic like this again in our lifetime. I hope not. They said something about, like, oh, it's going to happen again in 2030. But it was, like, the Kardashians astrologist. Jesus so Christ. I just, I'm, those are two words that just don't. Don't add up. Yeah. yeah. But um, in the spirit of Thanksgiving... We are going to be talking about <laughs> what does this have to do with this? <laughs> because I was thinking of like the settlers and okay, the okay, okay, like Hi, the early Loki. settlers. And Loki just came down to be like, um, excuse me, you started the intro without me. This is bullshit. Look at him, he's so handsome. Okay, continue. Okay, so I was thinking. See, the reason why when you said when we were talking about like uh, doing this episode, mm-hmm. I took it as like. They were like one of the first settlers, and I was thinking like yeah. pilgrims, like making pilgrims, the Mayflower, and then these settlers who, perhaps from the title, depending on what we name it, you will understand. Yes, but Lily, do you want to talk about what specifically we're going into today? We are going to talk about the mysterious disappearance of the Roanoke Colony. Yes, which I had heard about. This was like one of the first mysterious paranormal I would call it paranormal because it's not normal yeah events that I ever heard of um in my history class mm-hmm. that really intrigued me to kind of delve into unsolved mysteries as a mm-hmm. kid and just like the weird side of life like yeah. WTF like yeah what, the what unknown yes yeah um and I so I'm gonna start with the history and then Lily's gonna go into theories and then we're going to talk to you guys about the different experiences we have found of people um, that have had paranormal experiences on Roanoke Island. Ooh. So I was actually surprised because you hear about the mystery at Roanoke so much that you would think there'd be a lot more history behind it. Yeah. But I guess because there's so many unknowns, there really isn't much. <laughs> and I mean, this was back in the late 1500s. Yeah. So it's not like they had blogs like... Hey guys, welcome back to my YouTube channel. Um, Welcome back to my Roanoke channel. We're making pottery. (laughs) What's that noise? And then it like cuts off and then the person never makes another vlog again. Yeah. (laughs) So um, the Roanoke Island colony off the coast of what is now North Carolina was the first English settlement in the New World founded by English explorer Sir Walter Raleigh in August 1585. (gasps) That's why they call it Raleigh, North Carolina. There you go. I didn't know it was named after a person. I just thought it was called... I didn't know that either until I did this research. Um, And then the first Roanoke colonists, which were around 115 English settlers, did not fare well, suffering from dwindling food supplies, Indian attacks, and in 1586, they returned to England aboard a ship captained by Sir Francis Drake. So that was like the first group of people. They got out. 
maybe this was like a warning. Maybe they shouldn't be colonizing this area. Oh, yeah. And then people started coming back to that area. And in 1587, it was decided that John White, governor of the new colony that made their way there, would sail back to England in order to gather a fresh load of supplies. But just as he arrived, a major naval war broke out between England and Spain, and Queen Elizabeth I called on every available ship to confront the mighty Spanish Armada. In August 1590, White finally returned to Roanoke, where he had left his wife and daughter, his infant granddaughter, Virginia Dare, the first English-born child in the Americas, and the other settlers three long years before. He found no trace of the colony or its inhabitants, and few clues to what might have happened, apart from a single word, Croatoan, carved into a wooden post. White took the letters to mean that the colonists had moved to Croatoan Island some 50 miles away, but a later search of the island found none of the settlers. So that is the information I found on the mystery of Roanoke. So what exactly happened? There are so many different theories out there. So Lily, tell us some of the theories you found online. Uh, Okay. So there were a few. And if you want like a quick like rundown of all the history and everything, like there's tons of, you can watch, there's a BuzzFeed Unsolved, like there's this podcast. But if you really want it, like in short, um, National Geographic had an article but I'm not going to read you a whole National Geographic article because, like, that's not what this is. Mm-hmm. So I f- did find an article on historycollection.com. I purposely didn't look up any theories because I was so excited. Like, when we were discussing, like, who's going to do what, I was like, I don't know any theories. <laughs> I just always left it as a big question mark in yeah. my mind. And I was like, all right, I'm going to learn as we go along with this podcast. Yeah, well, I mean... What's super interesting is I, when I told my dad the other night um, at Thanksgiving, he was like, you know, he said, what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, oh, yeah, ghouly things, blah, 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 blah. He was, and I told him about Roanoke, and he was like, well, you know, there was very recently some pottery found out west mm. in the Carolinas that, like, matched the same style of pottery that those settlers would have been doing. Ah. So that's very interesting. So here we go. There's a lot of ads. I'm on my phone, guys, because um, of who I am as a person. <laughs> so there's going to be a Shout out to smartphones. I Did you know they're coming out with a new Razer? Yeah, a flip phone. Yes. They're making a flip phone. and But it's it's like a smart flip phone, I'm assuming, Yeah, it's, right? it's a touch screen that folds, basically. kind of just want to go back to the old Razer days. That was my first phone ever. Me too! Did you, what color do you have? I had silver. You uh, had a pink one, didn't you? One. Well, yes, I had I, I had pink rhinestones on mine. Oh, so you? So but I had a, mine was one of a kind. That really, I liked that much better. It, I had like a rhinestone. It was like pink and like like clear, like sticky rhinestone, like a heart. Uh-huh. And then I had just like all over, like around the rim of like the front. You know how you around had that front screen? Yeah. yeah. It was blinged out. Do you remember when um, on your phones they had that little that little loop on the side of your For charms! Pro- I had so many charms that I would go oh, through. I could see I, I could see you having a sidekick. Did what? you ever have a sidekick? I didn't have a sidekick. I had the I had the razor first mm-hmm. and then I had the envy. I had an envy too! I had, I had a red the, one. I had the orange envy. And okay. then I had the, I think it was the red Envy. It was like Envy 3 or Yeah, I think like I had that. the Envy 2. Okay. So and the same, yeah. Yeah. And then I had a Blackberry, and then I moved on. I had the Blackberry I think I knew Storm. you in your Blackberry days. BBM days, yeah. yes. Because I had the purple one. And then I had the iPhone. Eventually moved on to the iPhone. I 
had the razor, mm-hmm. and then I had I got the envy, and then I got the iPhone. I think no. No, there was something in between there. Oh, I had the. Hmm. I think I had. No, I had the NV two or three, and then I had an iPhone, and then I got the HTC. I had an HTC, Uh which like HTC computers, at least at the time, were powering rocket ships. I remember you having that. Yeah, I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, and it was and it was huge. And Mm -hmm. so I had the HTC One M Eight, and then I got the iPhone, and then I got the iPhone Four, and that crapped out. And the only thing they had available was a Samsung Galaxy. So I got the Galaxy S Three. Okay. No, that's a lie. That's a filthy lie. I had the Envy. I I got the iPhone. And then on vacation, my iPhone crapped out. And all they had was the S3. So I got the S3. Okay. And I didn't like it much. So then I got the HTC. I, that was when I knew you. Yeah. So you knew me when I had the HTC. And then... I got my iPhone mm. again. So that that's I've I've been around the block. You have. With smartphones, but flip phones I only had two. You've been a floozy with the phones. <laughs> I what can <laughs> I say? <laughs> but anyway, um if you guys want to let us know your evolution of cell phones, email us at justgluethingspodcast at gmail.com. Especially if you have a picture with it. I think I still have my razor somewhere. Oh yes. Oh I definitely don't have my phones anymore. But I always wanted the, uh, I wanted the juke, the one that you just like The flipped. juke! That they was like the, my pinky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That lasted for like two days. But it was like, the the commercial was like, get your juke, uh, get your juke. And like the way it flipped, it looked I, like a I switch knew a blade. girl with a juke, and I remember after school, we were all in front of the school waiting for our parents to pick us up, and everyone was like, did you see, did you see like so-and-so's juke? She got the juke. Yeah. I wanted the chocolate. I was just about to say that was the other phone I wanted. Yeah, I wanted the pink one, the the strawberry chocolate, Ooh. and I don't remember what song that played in the commercial, but I remember I loved that song too, and I was like, "This is just the phone for me." And my I old, never my older get... cousin had the lime green one, <gasps> and like that was and... the OG chocolate. Yes, and I just always looked up to my older cousin so much, and she had lime green walls, and it matched her phone. I was like, "This girl has her life together," <laughs> and I was I always wanted to be her, so that's why I think I. You know, had that influence of wanting to get the uh, lime green chocolate. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So Anyways. Um, anyway, so. B- back to why we're talking. They didn't even have the concept of cell phones in the era we're talking about. So, right. sorry about that, guys. I remember hearing that we were originally when... Oh, great. I clicked an ad by accident. I hate my life. Um, originally, when, like, the telephone telephone was invented, they wanted us to say, ahoy. Amazing. Like, when we picked up, like... Like, imagine you call me, and I'm just like, ahoy! <laughs> uh, I actually wouldn't mind that anymore. I'm going to start should, doing I it. I think we should bring that back. I think we'll start the next episode by saying, ahoy! <laughs> and see who the loyal listeners are when we forget. And oh, yeah, remember. Ahoy, okay. this is Rebecca. <laughs> ahoy, boothheads! <laughs> okay, so the first theory is that the colonists were absorbed into local Indian populations or captured as slaves. Okay. Understandable. Oh. So this is the most popular theory, and that's that the colonists left Roanoke and they sought shelter with the native tribes. 
there were many documented sightings of Europeans and their influence in the years following the disappearance of these settlers, and the theory goes that these Europeans could have been the missing settlers or their descendants. Interesting. The Zuniga, Z-U-N-I-G-A, okay. pronounce that as you may, map, which is drawn by a Jamestown settler named Francis Nelson in 1607, documents four men who came from Roanoke living among the Iroquois tribe. And then in the early 1600s to the middle of the 1700s, European colonists claimed to have met gray-eyed Native Americans who claimed to have been descended from white settlers. So it's Mm. possible that they were taken and captured and enslaved and and then the settlers from England with the natives of Roanoke Island or, you know, inland of North Carolina you know, procreated, okay. and then these are now their kids, right? Definitely their kids, their grandkids. Yeah. yeah. In 1696, French Huguenots left records of meeting blonde-haired, blue-eyed Indians soon after their arrival along the Tar River. In 1709, John Lawson, in his book *A New Voyage to Carolina*, records Croatoans living on Croatoan Island who claimed that they used to live on Roanoke Island and they claimed to have white ancestors. William Strachey, Strachey, I don't know how to read, (laughs) also claimed to have seen Pecoricanic and Oceanohan Indians, I don't know how to say either of those, um, living in two-story stone houses that the English must have shown them how to build. So the main theory is that the settlers of Roanoke moved to Croatoan Island and joined with the Native Americans living there. Croatoan Island is located just south of Roanoke Island and was the home of the Croatoan Indians. The settlers had good relations with them, so we can assume that the settlers were just absorbed into the tribe. This theory has never been substantiated, but with clues left at Roanoke, plus the good relations that were standing between the settlers and the Indians at the time of their disappearance... It is all we have to go on. Hmm. It's interesting from what I read on history.com where mm-hmm. it said uh, because they had the words Croatoan written out and then they go to Croatoa, mm-hmm. Croatoan Island mm-hmm. and there was no sign of them. I mean, was it they just weren't looking in the right place? Did they actually follow through with certain leads? Did they? I mean, yeah. What? where is the missing piece? Why is it? that there's a good chance that they, they were absorbed into the colony, but why weren't they found? Exactly. So, so and yeah. there's there's no real leads. So with the development of technology, of course, as happens over time, mm-hmm. solving the mystery of what happened at Roanoke is more possible now more than ever before with DNA testing. We can now test the Native American peoples who claim to be descended from the Roanoke settlers to see if it is in fact true. So in 2007, the Lost Colony of Roanoke DNA Project was founded by Roberta Estes using her private DNA testing company to see if the missing colonists did, in fact, merge with local Native American populations using historical records, migration patterns, and oral histories. That's amazing. Yeah. The project offers DNA tests to people who think they might be descended from the people of Roanoke using Y chromosomes autosomal DNA and the mitochondrial DNA to make the determination. So far, DNA testing of negative um, 
Negative Americans. <laughs> Native Americans has not been able to identify any Roanoke descendants. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's just because it's been so, like, there's been so many mixes of the two people that over time it's just like there's nothing I mean left of it. it's possible and it it also depends on how old like okay when we did my family did 23 and me you did too right I did I like, ancestry DNA okay so when we did it we only got my mom's side but we went to the the eldest person on that side who's my grandfather who's 94 years old mm-hmm. and it turns out like we share DNA with Benjamin Franklin that's so cool. Right? And I didn't even know there was any, like, English in me. I thought I was just, like, German, Norwegian, Italian, and Serbian. Yeah. Like, I thought that was it. Shocker, right? That's not true. But the point is that, I mean, this stuff does go back far. So it depends on what kind of DNA. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I am not a scientist. I am not a really? college. I am not a college graduate. I was going to say, you're going to tell me you didn't go to college. <laughs> I went a couple. Of, I showed up a couple of times. I just that one time. <laughs> that one time, I I stopped by. I was a college drop in, <laughs> and <laughs> needless to say, I have not taken a science class in six years. Yeah, but when's the last time I took a science class? It probably was about six years for me too. Yeah, so. Needless to say, I don't know a lot, but I know that if they were using, like, a, a valid DNA testing system, I feel like that would show up. Oh, for sure. So the fact that it didn't show up, and there's not even, seemingly not even a hint of any sort of DNA going back there, like, that's odd, right? Yeah. Like, you'd think you could find something in the dirt, you know, you wouldn't even have to turn to DNA. You yeah. know, you could find a message, a artifacts. letter, artifacts, exactly. You could excavate something. You could do something. Look at, you know, ship records to and from Croatoan. I don't know. I don't know how history works, but there would be something, and so far we've got nothing. So this first theory has a lot of valid points, but it also has many holes in it. Exactly. All exactly. Right. So what's the second theory? Okay, second theory is just called the Croatoan theory. The word Croatoan was found carved into a fence post at the abandoned colony, as Rebecca said, and its presence at the site is one of the most confusing mysteries of Roanoke. Why was it found there? The word Croatoan is also connected with other mysterious happenings over the centuries, each one more puzzling than the last. Right before he died, Edgar Allan Poe disappeared for a short time. When he was seen again, he was delirious. In this final state of delirium, before his death, allegedly one of the last words he said was Croatoan. Weird. Yeah. Weird. Poe's official cause of death is unknown, and his medical records and death certificate are lost, so we will never know what happened to him that night he died after saying the word Croatoan. The word has also appeared... Sorry, I'm just taking my charm bracelets <laughs> off so they don't make any more noise. The word has also appeared at several other famous disappearances in the 19th and 20th centuries. In 1888, stagecoach robber Black Black Bart carved the word into the wall of his cell before he was released from prison, and he was never seen or heard from again. Now, that one I can't blame him. You know, if you're in prison for, like, you know, robbery, I and you, was, and you were let go, I, too, would never be seen or heard from again. That is very true. You know, like, let's say, like, that's speeding situation I had and they took me to prison and I had the option to just dip 
I would be a completely different person. She would not be on this week's episode. Just <laughs> it was also found um, in Amelia Earhart's journal after she disappeared in 1937. That's weird. That's that, a weird how one. fucking weird is that? Now, with Amelia Earhart, this does bring us to like a sub-theory, right? What happened to Amelia Earhart? There are beliefs that she landed, you know, had an emergency, landed on an island, and was either taken captured by natives or, you know, welcomed by, you know, the people who lived on that island or in that country or whatever. But off the coast of, I don't remember what country, they found something from that time, which was like a beauty cream that she was known to use. <gasps> oh my gosh. That like is... on an island, which she was passing over. Chills. I've <laughs> always found that's another, that's another mystery that's always rattled my brain. Yeah. Because there was never any closure. It's, it's those cold cases that have absolutely no closure to them that are the type of things that keep me up at night. Yeah, exactly. Oh, what, you know what keeps me up at night is the Lindbergh baby. Have you heard about this? Charles Lindbergh, another pilot, uh-huh. had a baby that just was kidnapped, and they never found the Lindbergh baby. Like, so someone just took the kid? Someone just took his baby. Was this on an episode of something on Netflix? Probably. I, I like the pose that you just I'm, struck. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I feel like I've heard of this, but never yeah. actually watched a full episode. Like, I think I was just listening to it while I was mm-hmm. doing something else, and those, those words sound familiar, but, yeah. huh. And yeah. they never found the kid? Never found him. And they don't know, like, what happened. You know, and I think it's one of those cases where people come out, you know, like, when uh, in Anastasia and the true story and the amazing feature film, when people are like, oh, no, like, it's me, it's me, I lived, right? There were people coming out saying, oh, I was the, I was the Lindbergh baby. But, like, yeah. if you're an infant, how would you know? Exactly. And this is all before DNA. That mm-hmm. handy-dandy DNA. How the fuck are you going to know if you're the Lindbergh baby? You just, you, you don't. You know? You so, don't. anyways... Oh, so, back to the word. Weird so, word. So, yeah. So, Croatoan could also be just like a cursed word, an ominous word, something left behind by some kind of being that will capture, mm. right? Like, and make things disappear. Like a Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, the last bed that horror writer Ambrose Bierce slept in, I again, definitely not pronounced correctly, uh, before he disappeared in Mexico in 1913, had the word Croatoan carved into one of the posts. In 1921, Croatoan was written on the last page of the logbook of the ship Carol A. Deering when it crashed on Cape Hatteras near Croatoan Island. The ship was missing its entire crew. Wow. And um, another thing that I'd like to add that I found in my research that Mm -hmm. I didn't add to the history was that, you know how we're told that Croton was wrote once on something. The pens, and so, pens post or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So apparently when they were investigating the land and trying to find where these people went, mm-hmm. there was somewhere else on that land the word, it was the starting word of the word Croatoan, but it was never completed. <gasps> Stop! Yeah. So it seemed that there was maybe someone running away and they were trying to maybe put some keywords, and so they were trying like to hints or yes, something. And then, like, they were writing it, and maybe they realized something was after them, and then they just didn't have time to write the rest of the word out. That part 
always freaks me out. When I that would that. be me, though, like, like Lily, did you write the second Croatoan before we get kidnapped? Oh, yeah, no, I'm doing it out. No, Lily, like, they're on their way to cat. Yeah, no, I'm on, I'm, on the, I'm on the first O. No, Lily, you gotta go. You gotta finish. go. You gotta fucking finish. And then it just says Croa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be, I, I'd be that settler. <laughs> Lily, maybe we need to get your DNA. <laughs> we gotta get your DNA tested. Maybe you are part of the Roanoke tribe. Or the Roanoke settler. I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm 100%. 100%. Roanoke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, the third one um, is that the colonists were murdered. So in 1607, Captain John Smith tried to uncover what had happened at Roanoke. He claimed that Chief Powhatan, who we've heard of, yeah, right, uh, told him that he killed the people of the colony to retaliate against them for living with another tribe that refused to like be in an alliance with him. Okay. Allegedly, Powhatan showed Smith items he had taken from Roanoke to support his story, including a musket barrel and a brass mortar and a pestle. Pestle? I don't know what that is. Um, by 1609, the story had reached England, and King James and the Royal Council blamed Powhatan for the missing colonists. William Strachey, 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 say it how you want. I, I really wish that I had, like, that gift to just read odd words correctly. Like, my mom can do that. And just you can just throw a word kill. in front of her, like anti-disestablishmentarianism, like that kind of word, and she'll just like read it as she goes. Like she won't have to pause to read like odd combinations of letters or whatever. It's almost like she's, she's an, an English, English professor. professor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he seemed to also back up this story, confirming the slaughter with his investigation in his work, The History of Travel to Virginia, Britannia. Powhatan claimed that he ordered the killings because there was a prophecy that he would be conquered and overthrown by people from that area. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that makes sense. You're defending your turf. These, you know, people from England come in to territory that is not yours, that you're already kind of at odds with, and now they have more people on their team. It's like in middle school when the new girl comes and all the bitchy popular girls, you expect them to not want the new girl in their group, Mm -hmm. but they think, hey, it's one more for our armada. Okay. And they shape and mold that new girl into another one on their team. Okay. Right? Yeah, exactly, right? And all the PSAs say, be nice to the new kid, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, look, they gain... Sorry, I can't go into middle school anymore. (laughs) The point is that this is also a valid theory. However... Contemporary historians and anthropologists are disputing this story because there were never any bodies or archaeological evidence found to support this claim, but it has persisted for more than 400 years. Okay. Yeah. So recently, author and researcher Brandon Fulham has re-examined Smith and Strachey's sources, Smith and Strachey's sources, and has suggested that the Powhatan massacre could have been the 15 settlers left behind from the second expedition, still leaving the mystery of Roanoke unsolved. So I feel like we should stop at these three because these are the three most popular ones. Okay. Um, we will post this link in our Facebook group, Just Glue Things Podcast group, if you would like to continue to read more. Yeah. Um, because there are, I think, about five more. There's Yeah, there's so many of them. Yeah. Do you want to, like, go through the different topics? Well, this one is the one that you just so happen to scroll down to. 
is an, another really popular one, which is actually what my mom like chimed in because this is what we talk about at Thanksgiving dinner, of course. Uh, when he said we were talking about, you know, how I was doing coolie things, and my dad said, "Well, they found the pottery," and my mom was like, "Well, you know, I think." <laughs> and a, another strong theory is cannibalism. Okay. Like the who was it? The Donner Party, who were they were like up in the mountains of Colorado in the snow. And, like, they had to resort to cannibalism to live. But then the question becomes, like, was it the settlers eating each other? Or were there people on Roanoke Island who ate people? That's a good point because, like I was saying, in the history of the first time they tried to colonize that area, Mm -hmm. those people had left because there just wasn't enough food. Mm -hmm. The land at the time wasn't fertile. And it just seems like... Maybe these people are just so desperate. There wasn't anything growing. There they was had no to resort to agriculture. They yeah. need, yeah. But I mean, there's no communication from across seas. I mean, and it wasn't like they left for a week and then came back and there was no one there. There was like, a, like mm-hmm. almost like a five year span yeah. where they weren't there. So I, th- I feel like if there was cannibalism, though, there's like a, it, it's a double sided coin because you think, okay, if it was like, I guess you could say like and like like an all-in cannibalism where it was all the settlers eating each other like clearly it didn't end well because the one who ate it because all of them died yeah right yeah so like that didn't work out well and then who would have hidden the bones and the remains that's true now if they had settled the island with people who were cannibals why would those cannibals leave after eating but i guess if they had no one left to eat then, but why would they leave? If they're protecting their own land and uh-huh. they're willing to eat people to protect their own land, then why, would they, why would they leave it? That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, those but are a few. Then they just saw on like the thing that you like you have for the um, for the article, and another way that it just doesn't make sense about there not being bones is that. Uh, the theory of there being possible disease that, yeah. like, just kill them off. Yeah. But then again, you would think that there would be remains or something there mm-hmm. to show, hey, look, they were here, they were fine, and then some... I mean, uh, yeah, obviously there were a lot of diseases coming from Europe, and yeah. it killed a lot of people, because a lot of Native Americans. So that is a decent theory, but again, why would there be nothing left of them? Like, it literally exactly. was, like deserted exactly so if like let's say that it's fucking you know 15 whatever and there's uh what what is it COVID 19 i forgot what it was called <laughs> you just forgot what completely fucked and, our 2020 and yet. we're all well it's interesting because like there are celebrities like cristiano ronaldo what about he, him? he has his own private island that he quarantined at right be nice so imagine right you're english settlers and this thing comes and it's just like the however many of you, you're all going to die. But if you're all dead, who picks up the remains, right? And it's not like the whole island was, you know, like the sea levels rose and the island disappeared. Yeah, yeah, Or it's like that one island that you see at the beginning of SpongeBob and, you know, everything gets washed away. Like, what if they were gone, what happened? And if they were there, clearly they weren't there long. Uh Uh-huh. And even if you said that, say if you tried to entertain this, disease theory mm-hmm. or the cannibalism theory if there are bones left 
and or and like or animals are just scavenging whatever. Animals don't take the bones with them. They just leave the bones wherever they eat yeah. these things. And so. I can imagine, right, that if it was something like disease, like regardless of if it hit fast or slow, there would have been some form of grave. Definitely. Right? Definitely. There would have been some form of marking, but all they like had. died at once. Yeah, but all they had was just the word Croatoan. And then you go to that island. So, what it, theory do you work with most? The, Which one do you relate to? I, mm, what resonates the most with me, and not for personal reasons, is that they were enslaved and then just kind of not, like, perhaps there was some procreation, but not a whole lot. Like, they weren't breeding them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they took, they took the people, you know, and said, well... Tough noodles, guys. You're our bitches now. And, like, right? a lot of rape. And, yeah. yeah, and there were some descendants, but not a lot, because they didn't want, you know, why would you take a bunch of people invading your land and then let there be more of them? Yeah, yeah. And then, and therein lies the disappearance of all of those people and why there are only a few people yeah. with, you know, the light gray eyes of uh-huh. the English settlers, but who are connected to these tribes yeah what about you i definitely will second that because i i I think that that everything you said was very valid and i just think that with the evidence that we're given which again isn't a lot that just seems to have the least amount of holes in the theory Mm -hmm. and i feel like over time dna evidence and technology that we have to solve things that have happened many, many moons ago is still developing. Exactly. And so who knows in 50 years. The future is now. It is. So it'll be very interesting to see if we ever find uh, a final resolution to this mystery. It would be nice to to kind of have some sort of closure on it because this is something that for hundreds of years now has been a huge question mark Mm -hmm. in our U.S. history. I agree. And what, what else I think is interesting is... Even if a bunch of scientists come out and say, we've like, oh my God, we did it. Like DNA breakthrough. We found a connection between Croatoans and English, the English people who came over in the 1500s or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like whenever. Yeah. yeah. We found DNA link. That's what happened. Well, a lot of people would still be like, no, it's fake. The island never existed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, regardless, you're going to have conspiracy theories. You're going to have people that have for years studied a certain theory and they're not going to want to let that go, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, but I just, I think that for things like this, especially something that's happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago, it's very interesting. To, it's it's entertaining to talk about these yeah. type of theories. because That's why we do it. Yeah. That's so why we do what we Let us do. know your theories. Um, maybe it's something that we've discussed on the show. Maybe it's something you see in the article that Lily will post in our private Facebook group. Or it's maybe one that you've come up on your own. Just email us at... JustGoolyThingsPodcast at gmail.com. So to wrap everything up, Lily and I are going to be reading experiences that people have um, in relation to Roanoke Island. So You go first. Okay. Um, I'm going to start first with a story that I found on Reddit. And it was a very, very long story, but I just cut it in half to get to the point. It was a lot of background that really wasn't necessary for the mm-hmm. story. So it, um, I'm going to start off with, eventually we get to an area. So pretty much they're on Roanoke Island, and they're mm-hmm. camping there. That's okay. the whole gist of it. So eventually we get to an area where they decide to call camp. And boy, I remember being happy because it felt like forever because we had to clear some areas <laughs> and we couldn't walk through. But in reality, it probably had only been an hour. 
So we all get excited, and Bobby and his cousin are setting up his tent, which is like an army green tent with an A-shaped roof. Like a and classic a typical Brady Bunch in the Boy Grand Scout. Canyon. Yeah. yeah. And Rob and I are setting up in his, which is a classic dome-shaped camping tent. So we get everything set up in time before the sun goes down. It's probably right before 5 p.m. because we can see fairly good. So we gather some broken sticks, firewood, and cleared out an area for our fire by brushing away loose fallen pine needles, pines, and leaves. So we get, to the area, we get the area bare to where it was just dirt. We didn't have any rocks, so we just used the hatchets to dig up a circle around the fire to help it not spread. Sorry, we were young teens and never had been camping <laughs> this size in our backyard, so we definitely... Oh, so, so go to Roanoke. That's genius. Not professional. Yeah, I walk my dog around the block once a week. Yeah, let's go hike the Appalachian Trail. Where there was a huge disappearance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What could possibly go wrong? So we sat around talking about the school year and how it's been, and then we ended up talking about girls because we were in our early teens now. (laughs) Of course. Then around 10-ish, after feasting on junk food and talking about everything under the sun, we started to tell scary stories, taking turns. You know, it's traditional to do that. That's a thing you do around the campfire. Of course. So, Robbie and I didn't know Bobby's cousin Stevie that well. I mean, we had met him once or twice in the past, but never really got to know him because he would come and visit Bobby once in a blue moon. So, when we started to tell the scary stories, that's when we found out that he was scared easily. So, we decided to back off the scary stories because we didn't want him to get scared and want to go back home and tell Bobby's dad then our camping trip would be done and for <laughs> Okay. These are guys. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> but I, I would have been the bitch that if you if I know you were going to get scared, I was just going to feed the fire. I would have been trying to I would scare. be the one getting scared. <laughs> I'd be the one in the tent calling my mom, like, Mom! <laughs> and I'd be like, nerd. <laughs> so eventually we all grew tired and decided to call it a night around 12 a.m. because we knew we had to get some sleep because we had to get up around 6 and pack up and be home by 7 or 7.30 before our parents were discovered we lied and didn't camp out right beside, behind our homes in the woods because it was around a 40-minute walk home uh, away from our homes. So the way our camp was set up, let's say our tent was at a 12 o'clock and Bobby's was at 6 o'clock and the fire site was between our tents. That way you can get a visual, but ours weren't far apart. If I was to get out, it'd be about four or five steps away from the fire and the same for Bobby's tent. So our tents were probably about 15 feet away from each other, maybe a little bit more. I've always been one of those people that cannot lay down and fall straight asleep, especially in a new environment. Relatable. Same. Same. Even though I had my trusty machete right by my sleeping bag, I still fell on edge because I was only 12 or 13. I didn't want my brother to know because if he did, I was afraid he would never ask me to go camping with him again in the future. I don't know why, but all night I felt good and not scared at all. But once we put the fire out and we all retreated to our tents and no more talking, it got really, really quiet. I already have goosebumps. (laughs) And the quiet is what made me feel uneasy besides the crickets and an owl hooting. No other noise were present. That's the eeriest. It's like no, is no noise at all. It's the scariest. Ooh, I like the sound effect. Thanks. This is a real <laughs> ASMR episode. You're all welcome. After we, after what felt like hours, which was really like 45 minutes, I started to drift off, and that's when I heard that famous twig breaking sound, and that made my eyes pop wide open. I was laying there and analyzing every sound, which were the crickets, and that one owl that would hoot every now and then. I thought to myself, we are in the middle of the woods, so it could be an animal. Mm-hmm. So I'm laying there and still listening, and a few minutes go by, and I don't hear anything else, so I close my eyes again. And it happens again. Crack. But this one sounded a lot closer than the first one I heard. I bumped my brother's arm with my elbow and I said, did you hear that? And after a few moments, he was like, huh? <laughs> I, said, 
I feel like this would be you and your brother. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I said, D, do you hear that? And he says, what? <laughs> I told him as I'm lying here trying to fall asleep, I heard what sounded like someone stepping on steps outside. Of course, he's trying to play it off to calm me down, saying it was probably Bobby or Stevie, suggesting that one of them probably stepped out to take a piss. Oh, this is so me and my brother. I said, no way, man. I would have heard more noises than that. Then he goes on and starts to say it's an animal, and as soon as he says that, we both hear it. Snap. I said, did you hear that? He laid there for a few moments with no, no reply. Then he eventually said, yeah, but it's nothing to worry about and go back to sleep because it's probably a raccoon or possum. I thought, yeah, he's probably right. We both noticed around this time that it seems to have gotten really cold because I remember we were talking about how the temperature dropped compared to when we first got in the tent and that we should have packed up an extra blanket to go over our sleeping bags. Some foreshadowing. We finally stopped talking and laid back down and then we heard another snap. But this one was right behind our heads to the back side of the tent. It's the, getting closer! <laughs> the, the front of the tent is where the door is. And if you were to unzip the tent door, you would see the fire site in Bobby's tent. My brother doesn't say anything, but slowly lifted his head up and looked back where the noise came from. I looked at him with my finger up to my mouth to indicate to shush and not say a word. At this moment, I know my brother is a bit frightened as well. We both are literally lying there waiting and listening for another breaking stick sound, but we didn't get that. What we got was horrifying. As we laid there, we both heard what sounded like someone taking their finger and dragging it across the tent. <laughs> Next time that freaked me out and I watched you do it! <laughs> Next time you're around a tent, drag your finger across and you will get the sound we heard. It was on his side of the tent and it dragged towards the back side and we both heard it as clear as day. We both kept silent. As this happened, I grabbed my machete and my brother grabbed a hatchet. The dragging against the tent noise stopped after 10 to 15 seconds, maybe. Not gonna lie, it felt like forever, though. <laughs> we both slowly and quietly unzipped our sleeping bags and got out on our knees. My brother slowly started reaching for the tent door zipper, and as he is about to grab it, suddenly someone or something starts pushing inwards on our tent. We both look back at the back side of the tent and clearly can see what appears to be someone pushing on it. Towards the top of the backside, the tent was being pushed in. It looked like someone was taking their hand and literally pushing on the tent. Then after about a minute of that, it stopped, and we didn't hear any other noises that indicated that whatever it is hadn't left. We both just sat there in panic mode. Then we hear a snap, a stick breaking like someone stepped on it, and then a few moments go by, and then suddenly something hits our tent with force. The whole time we're looking towards the back side of the tent, we watched whatever it was dip our tent in like someone hit it or threw something at it. Oh my god, they're under fucking attack. Right? I hate it. Neither of us felt comfortable enough to talk or move, so we literally sat there frozen in fear with our weapons in hand. Finally, after like 15 minutes, we both hear that snap noise, but it's a bit further away now, so that made us feel a little better. I want to say all this happened within a 30-minute window from the first snap I heard up until where I'm at in the story. I would say it's probably around 1.20, 1.30 a.m. A few moments go by and we both hear another crack noise, but it sounded further away, which made us feel a lot better. But we still didn't open the tent door because we had still had fear inside us, and I know I felt if we opened that, I would probably make eye contact with whatever that was, and I don't want that at all. <laughs> we heard another snap, and then a few moments go by, and we hear Bobby yelling, stop hitting my tent, dickhead. <laughs> then a few more moments go by, and then we both hear something hitting Bobby's tent, because Bobby's tent material was similar to a tarp. That stuff is louder than nylon, or whatever our tent was made out of. So we can hear what sounds like someone taking their hands and smacking or shaking his tent now. 
We then hear Bobby call out, Rob, Jay, one of you better stop effing with my tent, damn it. I'm trying to sleep. Then we hear Stevie scream in fear, and Bobby goes to say, look, you better stop. And then he stopped saying whatever he was going to say, and it got really, really quiet. I mean, we didn't hear anything but the bugs or an owl. So now my brother and me are paranoid that something had happened to our friends because Stevie's scream had fear behind it. So we started whispering, like, what do we do? We both grab our weapons and slowly start unzipping our tent, but only unzipped a few inches so we can peek out. There's enough moonlight out to see somewhat because we were in a little clearing in the middle of the woods, but it was still quite dark. My brother wants to speak and could barely get it out. He said, Bobby, but it was shaky and squeaky when it did come out. I whispered to say a little bit louder. He looked at me for a few and then yelled out, Bobby. Bobby replied back in a soft and scared spoken manner. Rob was like, is that you poking my tent? My brother says, no, but you guys need to get over here into my tent. Bobby replies, why can't y'all come over to my tent? (laughs) My brother said back to him, really? You have a one-person tent with two in it, so just come over to my tent. Which is correct, because Bobby's was an army-style one-man tent, and my brother could sleep up to five or more, if I remember correctly. So it was obvious Bobby and his cousin were scared as well and just didn't want to go outside, Mm -hmm. which I didn't blame them one bit, because I was terrified at this point. (laughs) So who would want to be in the woods this late at night without a flashlight and not make a lot of noise walking? Plus, you got to remember, this is the 90s, so we could dial for our parents to come, so we couldn't dial our parents to come get us Mm -hmm. on a cell phone. So this is just like every element to a horror movie. Mm -hmm. So after a few minutes, we finally got Bobby and Stevie to run over, but we had to shine our flashlight um, out of our tent and towards his tent so that they can get out. They eventually made their way inside our tent, and we did feel a lot safer now that we were all together. We asked Bobby and Stevie what happened, and Bobby told us he was awakened by something tapping on the tent and that at first thought it was one or both of us messing with them. Bobby said that he was opening his tent and yelling for us to stop, and he had seen our tent was zipped up. He said that's when he realized it wasn't us and had frozen up. Stevie said he was awakened by snapping of sticks and was listening to it for a while because he couldn't sleep, and then they got closer over time, and that's when they started to touch the tent. Oh, and then something started to touch the tent. My brother and me asked Bobby, do you think your dad would do this to scare us? He looked at us and said, come on, my dad walks with a cane, which is true. He <laughs> still does to this day. We knew it wasn't our dad because he works around the clock to make ends meet for a family of seven. All four of us laid in that tent and we would hear a snap here and there throughout the rest of the night as it was circling us. We never got a wink of sleep the rest of that night, afraid of whatever was out in the woods because we periodically would hear a breaking noise around the campsite, but luckily didn't come back up on us like it did originally. And then eventually, the snapping slowly faded farther and farther away. And then about like 20 minutes later, it was like the last snap. And then the sun came out at 7 a.m. And they all broke down their tents, grabbed everything, and hightailed it out. <laughs> so um, this story happened 20 years ago. And it's still so hard for this writer to talk about. Um, and they will never forget that night because they believe for sure it was something paranormal. This island, Roanoke Island, was originally full of Indians, so maybe they were or near they were near a burial site. Mm. Um, and he continues, I remember one time back in the 90s, Rob, Bobby, and I would hear what sounded like Indian drums being played like before a battle. It was very strange because I was coming from deep in the woods, um, and we were in Bobby's yard, and his grandma lived next door, and we told her. She said, leave them alone because they are just living out their last and final battle and something like that. 
She says it happens once in a blue moon. You can hear it. It was eerie hearing those drums and what sounded like chants. It didn't sound like it was coming from a radio. It had sounded live. Those woods are still untouched, and the area where we camped that night is as well. But slowly over time, the government is getting closer and closer to taking them down because most of the woods are now gone. My brother and I believe it is a spirit that was out in the woods that night, but truly there's no way of knowing. It definitely wasn't an animal or a person. The end. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Craziness. Yeah. And that's, again, the kind of story that you can't make up for multiple reasons, right? There was several people there. One was so. named Rob and the other was named Bobby. Very or 90s. Robbie and Bobby. Very 90s names. Very 90s names. And also, no one sitting down coming up with a story would do that. Definitely not. Right? Um, the descriptions are just the... Mm-hmm. It sounds scarier when you do it with your nails. My, na- my long nails. Because I have stubs. Like claws. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> you guys can't see, but I just slapped Rebecca's hand. Um, no, but I, I truly feel like... The burial ground theory could be really valid. Like, what if this was an island where they left people to perish? Like, what was the name of the island from the plague? Oh, my gosh. What was it called? Um, they went there on ghost adventures. Yes. Wasn't it We talked like, about it. Yeah, wasn't it called, like... It was Spanish, I think, right? But wasn't it, was it like, a plague Spanish? island? Like, it was... I forgot what it was called. But it, what if it was something like that, right? Where they just took people to die? It could have been. It could have been. Wait, let me see if I could find it real quick. Yeah, just su- search Plague, Plague Island. Let's see. Oh, well, there was Poveglia Plague Island, which is Oh, in Venice. Italy. Yes, yes. Italy, that's yeah, what that, that's what it was. But, you know, like, what if that's what Roanoke initially was, you could know? And they were taking people there to die, and they were like, oh, these motherfuckers dead too? Okay. To the island. To the island. Yeah. All right, Lily, what's your next story? Okay. That was a lot to unpack. That was a lot. But if, if, I don't know, I feel like if someone were to experience something, come on, fucking saint, open link, I don't care where I open this link. Okay, this is from ABC 13 News, uh, WSET.com, paranormal activity, group getting up close and personal with area ghosts. So, I will send the link because there's a lot of, um, a lot of this is, like, tweets and photographs from ABC 13, but I'll just give you the rundown. So, ghosts are synonymous with Halloween, and one group in our area spends most of their time trying to get in contact with them. The, a meeting at the Roanoke Public Library quickly turned creepy. That's because the Research Society Virginia Paranormal Group was there trying to communicate with spirits. So um, Cynthia Beasley, a reporter for ABC 13, says it was such a cool story and she got to hang out with some of the ghost hunters and some spooky stuff happened. Cool. They used a flashlight and a radio to try to speak to spirits. When they asked them to turn on the flashlight, it turned on. Mm. It happened multiple times. And she even checked the flashlight, and it was a legit real flashlight. Yeah. And you also see on, they do this on a lot of ghost hunting shows. I think Ghost um, Hunters does it, where they have the flashlights with the twist on and off. Mm-hmm. And they say, can you use your energy, you know? They blink. have it, like, lightly screwed on. Yeah. So they have, yeah. And they'll say, you know, are you a boy? You know, 
flash the flashlight for yes. You know, were you a child? Flash the flashlight for yes, whatever. But these ghost hunters say there is a lot more to their group than just talking to ghosts. They offer client investigations where they go to homes and give people, you know, peace of mind. All that stuff. So basically, let me get back to the Roanoke part. So the Research Society says that they do do a lot of research in haunted places, but a lot of stuff happened at Roanoke. Hmm. Tell us more. So that's actually pretty much it. <laughs> so if we go to Twitter, you'll see the thread. Um, was this like Ghost Hunters like taps? Or this, this No, this is like area Ghost Hunters. Okay. And then there's some footage on their Twitter, which I am going to log in as Just Ghouly Things Podcast and retweet this whole thread right now. Nope, I just said Just Ghouly Things Podcast. All right, so fresh on Twitter at JGT Podcast, you can read the article that I just shared. So that's just a little something kind of explaining the rundown, but there's more of a story on it if you watch the video. Okay, awesome. And then I have one. Do you have one more encounter? I have two more. I have one, like, relatively longer one and then, like, a short one. So okay, because I have one more, just, like, one more article. So if you want to do one, okay. then I'll do one. Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. So definitely check out the thread that Lily posted on our Twitter at... JGT Podcast. Okay. So this comes from pilotonline.com, and the title of this article is Ghosts on a Roanoke Island Road. And this was written in, I believe it was 2007, October 28th, by Catherine Kozak for the Virginian Pilot. Ooh, she was up late, too, publishing mm-hmm. at 12 a.m. 12 a.m. on the Look dot. at you, Catherine. I see you, Night Owl. Getting those hours in. <laughs> so the two young men are certain that something otherworldly exists on the road. Unexplainable sights and sounds once scared them so much they ran to escape. The tin ting of a bicycle bell had followed one of them. A screaming cat has visited the other, at once far away but chillingly close. Violent knocks on gates and docks, but no apparent source. Listen to them for a while, these earnest men, and a person can't help but believe them. Quote, it was the summer before last out on a dock. They called it the ghost dock or the plankton dock, recalled Chris Hannett a 19-year-old photography student at Savannah College of Art and Design who lives in in Manteo. It was about midnight, but there was enough moonlight to clearly see. Out of the shadows, a darker shadow slid out. It was like a blob. It slid down the hill, end quote. Gesturing toward the north, Hannon pointed to the bulkhead and the the field sloping up from the sound. That's where he had saw it, a two-dimensional shape about five feet in diameter and fast-moving, he related how he had turned to his friend who was with him at the moment. He looked me straight in the eye and said, I think that was a ghost. I like that we're being honest here. Yes, we're keeping it just 100. Keep it 100. <laughs> 100. It all happened on Mother Vineyard Road, lush high ground, mysterious and old. Here along the roads, the edges of Roanoke Sound on the eastern side of Roanoke Island had tread Indians, English explorers, English colonists, freed slaves, Confederate and Union, Union soldiers, and ancestors of some of Manteo's finest families. The oldest thriving grapevine in America shows here its thick, gnarled stem subdued on a vineyard trellis. When the English explorers first arrived on Roanoke Island in the 16th century, the island was said to be covered in, with wild grapes. The mother vine is believed to be at least 400 years old. Locals have told long tales of strange encounters on Mother Vineyard Road. 
kids like Hannah and his friend Chris Ellison would hang out there. They liked the quiet solitude and the dock that stretches into the sound. That sounds very peaceful, right? Right. It sounds, I'm picturing it as like this barren wasteland of just nothingness. And they're like, oh yeah, it's got grapes. It's got sunshine. Very it's serene. Beautiful. Yeah. So Ellison, an 18-year-old film student at NYU, grew up in the neighborhood. His experiences go back to when he was nine and he and his friends wandered around the road playing flashlight tag. The one night that I remember we were hiding in the bushes and we saw it, Ellison said, talking fast. It was a man on a bike wearing raggedy clothes, but he had a glow. Hmm. When we saw it, we just immediately said, dude, it's the ghost ride. <laughs> Years later, when he was in 11th grade, his friends insisted on going down Mother Vineyard to find what they called the potato hut where slaves were, are reputed to be buried. We were just walking, strolling, and then Ellison paused and took a breath. We heard a bike bell. This is three or four in the morning. It was a very urgent sound. It sounded like it was getting closer. It was right on us. None of us turned. The reaction was just to run. Mm -hmm. So we ran down my road, walked to my house, and just sat there. Right then, I remembered the bike bell. I felt like nothing could protect me. Ellison's stories rang true to Hannah after his experience a couple summers ago. It started with a screeching cat repeatedly flinging itself around a nearby hill. Oh my god! As if being attacked by an unseen en enemy while Hannon watched in stunned horror. The cat suddenly righted itself and bolted to the foot of the dock above the bulkhead. Then the blob slithered out. Mm -hmm. A few months later after the scare at the dock, Hannon and a group of friends returned on a night when the strange phosphorescence... <laughs> created by disturbing microscopic organisms made the water glow green. Ooh. It was calm with the soft southeast wind. Walking to the end of the dock, Hannah leaned on the railings to see if the glowing organisms were washing onto the shoreline. At that instant, a powerful force slammed the under part of the railing, knocking Hannah's hands away. He scanned the water in the dock. Nothing. Bam! Again, something hit. That was enough. Hannah ran back to his friends in the dock, and the group had fled. Later that summer... Hannett was in his den researching the phenomenon on his computer when out of nowhere there was a piercing shriek from a cat. Mm. The creature sounded like it was directly outside the screen of the open window. But his house was miles from Mother Vineyard Road, and the window was eight feet from the ground. Hannett bolted from the room. He felt like he was being warned to stay away from the dock. While Hannett and Ellison... Again with a warning! And at these least he's people, listening. Yeah, right? So when Hannah and Ellison heard late last summer that professional ghost hunters were going to investigate Mother Vineyard Road, they wanted to see what it was all about. So then Ann Poole, a 60-year-old paranormal with Carolina Ghost Hunters in Durham, had for three decades investigated unusual activity at places as varied as the North Carolina State Capitol and the residents neighboring the house in California where Sharon Tate was murdered. So pretty much Poole investigated interviewed Hannah and Ellison as they stood next to the Mother Vine and Jack in Estelle Wilson's front yard. And they actually got some decent feedback from their investigation at Roanoke Island. But I'm going to also source this article, and I'm going to put it on our private Facebook group. Uh, join our private Facebook group at Just Coolie Things Podcast Group. And check <laughs> out their investigation. But my the most important part of this article comes from just hearing these young men's mm -hmm. experiences on this specific road on Roanoke Island. So it makes you think maybe this was either slaves, the lost souls of the English colonizers, or the lost souls of the Native Americans. I have a theory. What's, I have a theory. What's your theory? Mermaids. Always with the damn 
mermaids. Not the craziest thing, though. Right? Like, there were mermaids in the sea. Yeah, and, like, they would lure men to their death. Yeah. Lure sailors. Or, like, sirens. Oh, my God. I'm a genius. Mind blown. Mind fucking blown. All right, Lily. What's your last article? Okay. So, my last article is The Haunted Hills of Roanoke Valley. Our favorite ghost stories from Roanoke and beyond. So, it should come as no surprise that Virginia, with all its centuries of history, might have its fair share of ghosts, from skirmishes between Native American tribes to skirmish... Oh, I almost read that same line. Nope, it is a different line. You know how sometimes, like, you follow the line and you read it twice? And you're like, wait a second. Yeah, my brain thought real quick, like, why would they use skirmish twice in one sentence? But, alas, they did. (laughs) So from skirmishes between American Native American tribes to skirmishes between Native Americans and colonists to hundreds of Civil War battles, Virginia's soil is soaked with generations of bloodshed. Could you blame these restless spirits for lingering? I can't. Roanoke and the surrounding areas are home to a few spectral spooks of our own. Below are just a few of our favorite. What are your favorite Roanoke ghost stories? Well, so, I read my couple. Yeah, so we've got a few. And then this article I'm also going to post because it's got sources at the end with more. Awesome. So just a select few. This one is called The Woman in Black. This is probably one of the most famous Roanoke ghost stories, possibly because it's actually documented in local newspapers from the time. The story goes, for just a few days in 1902, a mysterious and beautiful woman in a black dress, the lower part of her face partially obscured by a black turban, terrorized the men of Roanoke. And not just any men, married men. Mm. As they walked home at night, she would materialize, whispering in their ears and calling them by name, sending chills down their spines. According to a March 1902 article in the Roanoke Times, one midnight eve, she followed a prominent local merchant on the, all the way to his front door. And the article states, The woman was only a couple of feet behind him, and he naturally increased his pace. Faster and faster he walked, but in spite of his efforts, the woman gained on him until, with the greatest of ease and without any apparent effort, she kept alongside of him. Where do you turn off? she asked of him. He replied in a hoarse voice, Twelfth Avenue. Ere he was aware, oh, ere means like ever, I think, she had, she had hand upon his shoulder. He tried to shake it off, but without success. Quote, you are not the first married man I have seen to his home this night. Ooh. She spoke in a low and musical voice. And just as suddenly as she appeared, she was gone. Later that same year, accounts of an eerily similar woman were reported in West Virginia and Nebraska. But she never again returned to Roanoke. Some speculate she is a spurned woman out to get revenge by swaying men from their wives and causing discord in their marriages. Mm. Others suggest exactly the opposite. She appeared to guide men back home to their wives, ensuring they would not stray and no other woman would suffer as she had. So let's break this one down really quick. Old-timey times when, you know, particularly when a woman would lose her husband, she would mourn and wear all black. Yep, that's a thing. So it's possible that this spirit of a woman was guiding these men home safely. 
It could definitely could so be. So that, like they said at the end of this part of the article, no woman would suffer the same loss she had had. That's sweet. I like that perspective. I think I like that positive. Yeah, I think that's it. the narrative we're gonna go with because yeah, the other one is spooky kooky. Yeah, like not all spirits are bad. Not all spirits have bad intentions, mm-hmm. right? So just the ghost, I like that. yeah, of a woman who had lost her, like the love of her life, making sure that these married men come home to their wives. Yeah, no one has at to go through what she day. went through. Yeah. Now we have the Patterson Avenue ghost. These days, all you'll see of the haunted house at the southwest end of Patterson Avenue is an abandoned lot. And here's a little picture. Okay. That's that's where these, yeah, looks like a lot. Looks like a lot. Oh, God. I'll be here all week, people. All right. I lost my place. Right, an abandoned lot. But in the 1880s, this was the site of a beautiful white and haunted mansion. Dun, dun, dun. Oh my god, my stomach just growled. <laughs> Did you hear that? No. The mic might have picked it up. My stomach said, haunted mansion? <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more! The house was originally a funeral parlor. Its basement was used for preparing bodies. The main floor was the funeral home, and the upper floor was where the mortician, his wife, and their four children lived. Eventually... Neighbors began to realize they hadn't seen the mortician's wife or children in quite some time. Mm. When questioned, the mortician claimed they had gone out of state to visit some relatives. Two years later, they had not returned. And the the mortician abandoned his home. Decades later, the mansion on Patterson Avenue still sat vacant. Families moved in but would move out within weeks or even days. One Roanoke resident who grew up next door to this house, recalls playing on its grounds with her siblings and other neighborhood children. They often saw a young woman, dressed in Victorian garb, watching them from one of the upper floor windows. She was never alarmed by the woman, but one day she mentioned it to her father, who took it upon himself to investigate. He knew that the house was not currently occupied and no one should be inside. He had a neighbor... uh, he and a neighbor, sorry, went into the house and saw the woman at the top of the stairs looking out the window. Mm. When the sheriff's department investigated this ghostly sighting, they dug up literally more than they expected. Five bodies suspected to be the mortician's wife and four children. Oh my gosh. They were found buried under the dirt floor of the basement and several more makeshift graves were scattered throughout the backyard. Wow. Mm-hmm. This guy was a fucking psychopath. I know. Yeah. I mean, anyone, no insults to morticians, but, like, why? I just, I just don't get, yeah, my family just went on a vacation, and then two years later, no one's seen them again. No one's raising any more Yeah, no one's concerned. You know what it could be is at this time, since travel did take a long time, people really would like go visit family for like a month or two. You know what I mean? I mean, two years. I mean, I feel like that's when you're like, "Mm, Wendy's been gone a while. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And then there's the Grandin Theater. Okay. Uh, A short drive from downtown Roanoke, Grandin Theater is a local gem for many reasons. Not only can you watch films in a uniquely historic setting, you may also encounter a ghost or two. The theater, one of the first in America built for talkies, movies What's with talk- sound. Oh, oh, I never knew that. You've never heard the phrase talkies? 
I know walkie talkies, but I've never heard of talkies <laughs> like that. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Big Fat Liar? I have. There's this part where um, Paul Giamatti's character, what is it? Um, M- Marty Wolf? Yes. Mar- Marty Wolf goes, this is the movies, kid. The talkies. Oh, that was such a good movie. That was such a good movie. We quote that movie like regularly in my house. I, There's a lot of good lines. I need to rewatch that movie now. There's a lot of great moments. Now I need to watch Thanksgiving Parade Fuck-Ups and Paul Giamatti and Big Fat Liar. There's this one part that we rate. Oh, God. What is it? There's a lot of lines from, from Big Fat Liar that we'll just throw out. Like, um, he plays, like, hungry, like, you know, and I'm hungry he like the wolf. wolf. And But before he gets in the pool, he slams the radio on and goes, hungry! <laughs> and, like, I'll wake up in the morning and open the fridge and I'll be like, hungry! <laughs> or, um, Kastang. There's this character who goes, Kastang! And, like, you'll hear that. Like, that is hysterical. Yeah, or, um... God, my dad could name a million of them. If I text him right now, big fat liar quotes, go. He'll have a million. <laughs> He has them on deck. The best is when he goes, Marty, we hit a kid. And he goes, uh, I'm on the phone. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's literally me. You literally ever notice, me now. Ever notice that it's Marty Wolf and Max Shepard? Whoa, I love that. I love those Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. Love it. We love that shit. Okay, anyways. So, it was one of the first theaters built for movies with sound, was built in 1932. It had a rocky past and had closed down a few times over the years. At one such time in the 1950s, it said a homeless family moved into the projection room. The projection room above the auditorium. Like Mean Girls. Oh my gosh, yes. Sorry, that's all I could think of. Um, while they were there, two of their young children, one of whom was an infant, died. At night, when the theater is empty of customers, employees claim to hear the phantom cry cry of the family's infant child. One former projectionist claims to have seen a young boy lingering at the top of a stairway, thinking he might be lost or left behind after the last show. He followed the boy, only to see him disappear through a closed door. Others have heard laughter and clinking glasses coming from upstairs, and one former employee claimed to have seen a ghostly face peering from the projection room when he knew he was alone in the building. Mm. And then the last one that we have is the Avenel Plantation. So also known as Historic Avenel or the William Dub or the William M. Burwell House, this eighteen thirty eight Bedford plantation is home to the White Lady among other supernatural presences, said to be the ghost of Leticia Burwell, the oldest daughter of the Burwell family, the white lady roams the property, dressed in a long, white, 1900s-style dress. Because what else would she be wearing? Right? Local musicians who sometimes use the home to practice often... <laughs> a weird kind weird of go-to okay. spot. Yeah. Um often hear a woman's voice singing along and visitors have smelled musty perfume wafting through the halls. Ghost hunters who have investigated the property on several occasions have noticed seeing an orb that looks suspiciously like an eye and have heard someone murmuring, the secret is in the wall, and hi, kitty, kitty, kitty. The Lee Room, where Robert E. Lee was a frequent guest of the Burwells, contains a bed that occasionally looks slept in, mm. with rumpled blankets and an indentation on the pillow where a head might lay. 
So basically, this goes without saying, there is more to Roanoke haunted ghost stories than just the disappearance of settlers. Well, first, before I comment on that, I want to say, I want to know what's in those walls. <laughs> I want to know what's in those walls. Why are they saying it's in the wall? What's in the walls? I want to know what's in the walls. Besides, I mean, maybe black mold? I mean, I think they're saying, like, you know, like, behind the walls. If walls could talk? Yeah, that, that kind of thing. But anyway, what you were saying, when you were reading those stories, it... I realized that Roanoke is not anymore just this abandoned land where English colonizers just vanished after a few years. It actually has developed into something more. Right. And obviously there's more history since the 1500s. And, you know, you had the Civil War. You had slavery going on. You had all these dark parts of mm-hmm. U.S. history, murders, all that. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much more than just that Roanoke mystery. Roanoke is probably salty, like, wow, you're really just focusing on the settlers' disappearance. We've got more, honey. Yes. But, that, <laughs> but then that goes to say, is Roanoke just that land? Is there some sort of curse put on mm. by a tribe of, you know, you've taken over our land. We're not going to go without a fight. And it's like an mm. eternity long of just bad luck. Yeah. Well, Croatoan was written there. Yeah. And it could be, I mean, you've got Amelia Earhart, you've got Edgar Allan Poe, right? You've got, there was a ship, right? Like, you have the other, what was it, the writer, the, I think it was like a... Yeah, Edgar Allan Poe. No, 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 the other guy, Ambrose, Ambrose Breicher that we were talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, anyways, yeah, basically. It's like, I don't know, I just feel like, what if these ghosts, hear me out here, are descendants of the ghosts of the settlers. And they're being lured in. And, like, now none of them can leave. <gasps> and that's why there's no DNA found. Yes! Oh, my God! We're geniuses! Oh, wow. We are so... I like this. Smart. I really like what we've come up with here. This narrative... I'm a fan of this narrative. I'm liking the soup that we just made. Yes. Okay. The soup of theories. <laughs> Theory soup. The Roanoke soup. <laughs> so, to end off, I have a small little comment that I found on a Roanoke post on Reddit. Mm-hmm. This was someone by the name of Silver Badger 90 and this was written 3 years ago. Someone had asked, "Can anyone tell me any of their Roanoke Island experiences?" Mm-hmm. So this person wrote, "I can't recall where I read the story." So someone might need to do some digging to find the article, which, by the way, I tried to find this article. Couldn't find it anywhere. But maybe one of you guys can. In the spirit of Roanoke, it has disappeared. Disappeared. (laughs) There's no DNA evidence of it. Um, I think it was about two years back when I read it. And this person commented three years. So they found this five years ago. But in 2004, some paranormal investigators went out to the colony's old position with a Pamlico. I think Pamlico. Pamilco is spelt wrong, so I think it's actually Pamlico, um, but it's a broader Native American tribe name. Uh, the broader Native American tribe is Algonquin, and pretty much this is just a medicine man. Mm-hmm. And the basic gist is that they go there, and the medicine man explains that the Cro- the Croatan spirits, the name of the old tribe of Algonquin that inhabited that area, are restless. And eventually, as the night goes on, of course, they go after dark, since that seems to be the thing to do. Mm-hmm. The medicine man gets the story from the spirits and apparently Ooh. these spirits 
Celts are some of the slain Croatan braves that had aided the English settlers. And the Croatan knew that the English had disturbed a particular grove nearby their cemetery, I mean, by their settlement, and where they had been logging to make their settlement. So I think that this was like kind of like a burial site for the Native Got Americans. It. And the Croatan knew better than to disturb this area and tried to warn the English away. And apparently, the English, of course, ignored them as godless pagans and continued harvesting the grove. So one morning, the English wake up to find a few families missing. No sign of a struggle, nothing. They get worried, naturally, and try to find their brethren. They, of course, find nothing, and another night passes. They awake again to find more of the settlers missing and go to the Croton for help. The Croton tribe agrees to help the settlers as long as the few surviving families promise to leave the settlement and never return, going to the Croton tribe's village further away. A few English settlers stubbornly remain behind and refuse to live as a savage. A search party of English and some brave Croton looking to prove their manhood go out to find the missing English settlers and are, of course, never seen again. Apparently, these Croton spirits are those young Croton warriors who went searching with the English. The Croton tell the Algonquin medicine man something to the effect of, quote, they were called to by the trees and were taken in the night, end quote. Oh, that's helpful. The, quote, they, here being the English families mm -hmm. that disappeared. Okay. As for the investigators, they got some EMF and some blue orbs in their night vision, but otherwise didn't hear anything of the Croton spirits. The only known thing is what the medicine man had told them since it was part of an old form of Native American shamanism, primarily communication with spirits. So that's like the only way that they got any of this information is through the medicine man, kind of as that like a middleman. That makes sense though, because if all of this activity was with like natives, like why would they want to talk to more fucking white people? Yeah, they're like, I need to speak to, you know, my family. Yeah. About this. What? Um, so either the medicine man didn't tell them how this worked or the article doesn't go into it. The only other interesting thing that this person can remember from the article mm -hmm. was that it was speculated that the Croton word found in a fence post was an attempt by those few stubborn English settlers remaining to warn the following settlers that they knew would come later and eventually did, thus passing the legend to us, to find the Croton. And then this is like what I was adding before. The fact that CRO was found on another tree nearby was also speculated to be another attempt at leaving a message behind by someone who was fleeing something and was cut off midway through their efforts to carve Croaton on the tree. I'm telling you, that's the fucking spooky, spookiest, kookiest, ookiest, ookiest part of this mm -hmm. whole thing is the left in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Imagining some lone surviving English settler fleeing in terror before being taken out by whatever took the other English settlers from the grove is just something that is just left to be in our imaginations of what happened wow. after that. Yeah, I feel definitely the CRO is either like someone rushing before like, yo, we gotta be out by five o'clock. Oh, 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 I'm carving it, I'm carving it. No, girl, you need it done now. No! Right? I'll get to it. Yeah, or like they're on their way on the boat to the Croatoan Island, and they're like, you finished that second Croatoan, right? And they're like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I totally finished carving that into that other tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was done. <laughs> yeah, that was like, shit. <laughs> but, um, that's me making light of a really terrifying situation, <laughs> because that's definitely not what went down, and this person got captured mid Unless carving. it was one of Lily's relatives. Why would it be one of my relatives? Because you tend to procrastinate i have no idea what you're talking about i've never procrastinated in my life <laughs> sips your waters for some ending asmr asmr stands for our settlers murdered at roanoke 
note, that concludes this episode of Just Bully Things. Thank you so much, Boo Things, for listening. We love and appreciate you all. And Lily, do you have anything to finish up with before we shout out our socials? I would like to say support small businesses this holiday season. For sure, for sure. Um, especially if there's, you know, anyone with like a Patreon or a T Public store. Almost like just ghouly things has that. <laughs> Who? What? Almost just ghouly things. Wow, something just came over us there. I yeah, don't know what like that, that was. I think it was just two <laughs> annoying, nagging Jersey girls <laughs> just possessed us. Whoa. Uh, all right. Well, on that note, yeah, buy our merch, you know, at Tee Public, Just Ghoulie Things Podcast. Search us up, and we have not only our uh, not only our logo on merch, but we also have other different things that you can put on T-shirts and cups mm-hmm. and mugs and masks and anything you can think of, we sell it on our, on our merch site. You so. name it, we sell it. Probably not. Maybe. Maybe. There's, you, a, there's a, like a 45 Within chance. reason. Yes. So... All right, let's get with the social media, okay, shall we? Okay, I'm ready. All right, follow us on Instagram at... Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Our personal Instagrams at Rebecca Ruber and... At Lily Baldessari. Twitter. JGT Podcast. Facebook like page. Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Facebook private group. Just Ghouly Things Podcast group. Donate to that Patreon. Just Ghouly Things Podcast. And we have some good stuff coming, by the way. We which do. we will discuss after we're done recording and update you. Yes. Um, also, you can buy our merch at tpublic.com search just ghouly things podcast and if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience you'd like to share on our show feel free to email us at just ghouly things podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening boo things and we will talk to you next week goodbye